I'm Isabeau. And this is Wellmeans. A podcast about romance novels. About harems. About shipboard blowjobs. About colonialism. About French invasion of North Africa. About war strategy. About sex trafficking. About being a pale gal. Pale galling. (laughs) About the Russian conquest of Poland somehow also. (laughs) And the art movements in Paris. It's about Balzac. And nuns. But most of all, it's about that first thing. Romance novels. And ourselves. This week, we are taking on part two of our series, official title, AHA Shake Chic Heartbreak. I'm so excited. Heartbreak indeed. Heartbreak indeed. Uh, This week, we are going to discuss The Savage Sands by Christina Nicholson. Also known as Christopher Nichols. Also known as a million other titles. Indeed. For nom de plumes. And titles. He wrote a lot of books, too. Oh, yeah. He. This he. is the first time we are taking on a known male author. Now, people say Danielle Steele uses ghostwriters. Joanna Lindsay is so wildly uneven. I wouldn't be surprised if she uses ghostwriters. Perhaps one of them identifies as a man. But this person, definitely a man. Yep. Came out. Said so. Even though it was a closely guarded secret for over a decade. Which kind of seems like, I wonder if people were reading this and were like, hmm. A seven page onboard blowjob seems excessive and not for the readership. I mean, we'll get into it. Oh, yeah. I think we should have a whole section of this episode that were times I noticed the author's penis poking me in the eye. <laughs> or just like, just just poking. Just, just like, poking. Sometimes just like, it was in me. nudging like yeah. your elbow, something weird. Like insistent. Like sometimes it was in my eye, which is obviously unpleasant. But other times it was like, is this what men think? Yeah. <laughs> Devastating. <laughs> At times I was deeply upset. Yeah. It's a deeply upsetting book. On our very first episode, you were like, I think like part of a romance novel doing the perspective shift is women imagining the interiority of men as something like deeper, more in like a place where they can be truly honest. Mm -hmm. And their true honesty is just a lot of praise for the women they're with. (laughs) 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 Oh my God. Oh my God. No, please. so upsetting. (laughs) Please God, no. And then I'm so scared because it's the only only one we've read written by an actual man that we know of but I'm sure we'll get into it yeah we should start by reading the back of the book that is what we should do oh <sighs> my god and the copy you got oh gorgeous. isn't this gorgeous oh, yeah we'll send pictures out on all rose of the- gold oh, dreams it is boy there's so much here you guys all right so the fiery new epic of shameless love by the author of the power and the passion i didn't look that up did you no <laughs> this was enough frankly <laughs> it's a lot so much abducted by a titled adventurer she was sold to the day of algiers for his carnal amusement ravished by her own husband the sanctity of her marriage became still another kind of sin love by a man she could not have she crossed burning sands and years of shame to reach his heart Catherine of the savage sands all right so some notes on this back cover actually i think this book handled rape and the difficulty of like understanding it and wrapping your head around it really well there were so many scenes of rape there were and she starts off as like a very young woman she's like 17 Mm -hmm. and the first time she has sex with the day the first time she has a sexual encounter on the boat she's confused Mm -hmm. and doesn't fully understand what's happening she's interested in parts of it she's intrigued by it and in fact she likes parts of it as she gets more and more adept at it but in those first interactions the book really illustrates the confusion of getting swept up in something you don't understand yeah and and wanting to please even before the boat because our first official sex scene sex act is when she's molested by the nuns yes at her school yeah and the number one motivating emotion after that encounter is fear but also like the strange I don't know why I'm excited I don't know what that says about me mm-hmm. I didn't like it but if it had been somebody else's hands or my own I might have yeah and she tells her horny friend Seraphine who has had also like they've touched each other mm-hmm. and things like that <laughs> hello penis Hello, penis. 
<laughs> of course, French girls in convents, schools yeah. are touching each other at night and Just having holding one fights. another's breasts and then orgasming from it as they go to sleep. But Catherine would never admit to Seraphim what had happened between her and the nun. But Seraphim was like, you got to watch out for her. Here's what happened to me. And Seraphim also brags about having taken a lover the previous summer. And she instructs Catherine that she should learn to love everything, enjoy everything, even death, which is a really heavy thing and feels like a thesis statement for womanhood. Learn to love everything, even dying. Which is weird because that's then the refrain. And like, I think it's right to call it like a thesis statement of womanhood, especially in this text, but maybe Mm -hmm. more texts. Maybe, maybe all things maybe i don't know i don't want to put my flag there yet definitely like like some johnson and johnson advertisements for sure (laughs) oh my god but yeah enjoy everything including death and then like that becomes the refrain slash survival mantra that Catherine adapts and seraphim has this perspective of like at least something's happening Mm -hmm. something is happening enjoy it yeah like what else are you gonna do not enjoy it that seems like a waste yeah exactly but then at the end of the book she's raped by her estranged husband and she has an orgasm during it but the book never stops calling it rape which I thought was super progressive for 1978 yeah I thought so too calling what happened between a husband and wife rape and also acknowledging that you can have like an orgasm your body can have a nervous system reaction to it and it's still rape right by the way Mm -hmm. 1978 Mm -hmm. what one best picture such a good question (laughs) Deer Hunter was the year after, I think, which didn't win Beck's picture, but I just listened to a podcast about Deer Hunter. Annie Hall. (laughs) (laughs) I think we've done another 1978. We must have. It's got to be one of the Kathleen. Star Wars won for best uh, costume design. Congratulations to Star Wars. I kind of love that. That's a weird piece of stuff. There's Mark Hamill before his weird motorcycle accident. Look at how beautiful and young he is. So handsome. So handsome. Richard Dreyfuss. Very handsome. Some Very of these new yeah, stories. I love the, the beard, beard and the piercing blue eyes, mm. the salt and pepper. Yeah, I'm into it. He's grown into himself. Richard Burton won for Equus. <gasps> Equus, really? And, yeah, Richard and, Burton all day, every day. And John Travolta was nominated for actor in a leading role for Saturday Night Fever. I read Richard Burton's diaries. That is a weird thing to read. And I will say it redeems a lot of the weird penis poking that happens in this book because he's writing in his diary you know shortly after fights and arguments with Elizabeth Taylor Mm -hmm. and he's very like vulnerable and honest in those moments Mm -hmm. and I remember one part where he says his pet name for Elizabeth was Lumpy because her body fluctuated that's so mean and he said I know how mean it is but it's so hard for me to look at her even when she's gained so much weight and she hates herself and just realize she's still the most gorgeous person to ever walk the earth and I'm just sitting here with my acne scars like he like that doesn't redeem him for me but no. it also like recasts taming of the shrew for me <laughs> oh my god there's this whole part about they were so in love when they made taming of the shrew obviously and they were so in love anytime they were working together but i'm saying like richard burton's interiority is insecure me feel better but at least like thinking something nice and whole about the person you're with like knowing that they feel bad and understanding where that's coming from and also understanding your own limitations as far as that connection that doesn't happen in this book no because we very rarely very rarely get full male perspective I think it happens so rare in terms of a romance novel literally could not give a fuck about this hero which hero David Mullower oh the reason why I asked that question okay so like let's take it back so at the beginning of the book we have 17 year old Catherine is being educated by these nuns and she's tobogganing it's winter in Chantilly and we open with this gentleman who is not well dressed and like kind of scary ragamuffin looks homeless and dirty the book starts in his perspective the book starts in his perspective and he's like oh my god if she comes tobogganing down this hill and her skirt flips up that cavern of treasures will be revealed and it's like super fucked up that he's thinking about a young woman that way and we don't know how old he is yet he thinks about snatching her yes 
very, very much so. And so then she gets to the bottom of the hill and he's like, beautiful girl, beautiful girl, come talk to me. And she's like, I can't, sir, I can't. And then you find out later that he's this weirdo artist who's like obsessed with her. And he's like 23, which is weird. Anyway, the whole thing. Weirdo artist who's obsessed with her is exactly how a 17 year old would describe him. Right. It's like weirdo artist who's like obsessed with me. Because the thing that he's 23. The thing that he says that he wants to do is paint her, like do a portrait of her. Like she accepts that at face value. And like the book sort of accepts that at face value, except we've been in his interior and he's like thinking about her dark hidden treasure. He's so that thinking it's like, about her cavern of mystery. Yeah. So it's like, well, you want to do more than paint her, David. And so obviously like, here is one of the points at which the book's perspective makes me hate men. Yes. I think David in the book genuinely believes he just wants to paint her. Mm-hmm. And also he wants to look at her mystery cave cavern and that he associates being in love with her with possessing her which isn't at all different from the villains and looking up her skirt right and she's still underage so then her father and stepmother show up take her from the nunnery to Paris where he lives as the American ambassador to France yeah yeah He's a military historian. Right. Super into Napoleon. Yeah. From uh, Boston. From Boston. He's a good dad. Loves his daughter. Boston. Sorry. Has this new French wife who has a son. Uh Uh-oh. Don't worry. We'll get into that, too. Jean-Pierre. Jean-Pierre. And the mom is, like, clandestinely carrying on affairs right in front of Catherine. Flirtations. She calls them flirtations. But she's, like, fucking having sex with other people. But she's also, like, got this thing and we all have that friend when the guy is coming on to you and your friend is like, do you see how into me that guy was? Yeah. That's what her stepmom does. All the time. But especially with this one guy. Baron Reisimer. Baron Reisimer. Now, before we meet Baron Reisimer, we meet Victor Hugo and Balzac. Who are fighting with one another. And Balzac gives this lengthy explanation about why he has so many pseudonyms. The author fancies himself a Balzac, I think. Clearly, especially since he's like (laughs) a little bit portly and like not good with the ladies and like Victor Hugo shows up like super ripped and like dressed to the nines with a beautiful woman on his arm and is like the toast of Paris. And then you've got like short squat Balzac who like has styled himself a sir. Sir Balzac. (laughs) Which is all true. He gave himself an honorific before France gave him one. So that was a weird bit of like seeing the authors spotted Balzac and Hugo <laughs> at a ball in a historical romance. Chic novel. Chic novel. But then we also re-meet RPF real person fic. It's so true though, right? <laughs> but then we re-meet David, who's hanging out in an outside cafe in Paris in the winter, hoping for a glimpse of Catherine. Then there's this weird scene where they meet and they go to the gardens where he's going to like draw her in the winter scene. And then they're like come upon by like, they're like called like the golden young people. Yeah. It's like aristocrats who'd lost everything in the revolution. And we're trying to seek out revenge against Republican sympathetic people, right. which they know David to be because he's Polish and has fled revolutionary Russia Russia, Russia, yeah. yeah and then David turns out to be like a lion and like fucking holds off five aristos with his bare fists yeah, he's a real man. Don't worry. Don't worry. He's not some he's not dirty mamby pamby <laughs> artist. Dirty pervert artist. And then he takes her back to his artist garret, which is just like a bed and a stool. Yeah. And then she's like, I can't be here with the door closed. And he's like, I'm not going to do anything. I love you. And like, also she discovers he's been painting nude models. And she's like, everyone here thinks I'm one of you nudie gals. <laughs> totally. Which was very much reminisced Titanic for me. It's like, paint me. <laughs> like one of your girls French girls yeah French girls French girls French gals yeah and so David he's kind of our first lover our second lover is going to be Baron Reisimer who's also our first villain yeah but also not like he's a villain he is but she wants him so bad well when she meets him and we're in her perspective and she says Catherine realized she met one of the largest most powerful personalities she would ever meet in her life like it talks about how his hair's greasy and he's built but he's like not super cute no he's like craggy dangerous severe Austrian Austrian. very 
imposing but he's features. the most powerful personality she would ever meet long story short he creates this mix him up so that he can kidnap her and take her to his friend the day it turns out he's pretty much kidnapping french girls to traffic across the sea in north africa not only does he take Catherine, but he takes her stepmother and her stepbrother jean-pierre who's the tender age of 12 yeah then which they will have, get to which we'll get to then they spend three weeks on board his ship where he's like, I'm going to train you how to be the best lady in the harem Mm -hmm. to please the day. Mm -hmm. And these are the skills that you're going to need. So he brings in just a random guy from the ship. A rando. Naked except for his blindfold. Oh my God, this scene though. This is the part where I don't like the fact that I know my parents listen. Mm -hmm. I was a little bit turned on by both the nun molestation scene Mm -hmm. and also this one. This scene was crazy. This scene was legit crazy. So the premise is, I'm going to teach you how to perform a blowjob on this person. But since we're so religiously... That's not even the premise. That's not even the premise. It's, I want to get you familiar with the male anatomy. And then she's like, I like it so much, I want to put it in my mouth. Yeah. And like, you know, I want to touch it. I want to do this thing. It's so excited to see me. And I love penises. (laughs) Yeah. And like, she discovers that even as she's being trafficked to North Africa, the layers of this scene are so intense it's like it's public but it's also private because they're in the captain's cabin and like the guy can't see her but is reacting which gives her this sense of power even though she's being coerced and so like she gets this guy to orgasm with her hand she's like I want to do that again but with my mouth yeah because she feels powerful Uh which is like a crazy mind fuck yeah it's a mind because it's like oh wow look what I can do yeah and it's you know it's true she's kind of understanding where her power is going to come from for a while then she spends the rest of the boat ride just being constantly like she's naked the whole time she's just constantly being masturbated and fondled and giving blowjobs for three weeks that penis is nudging my elbow a little bit <laughs> oh my god <laughs> and it's so true and it's like of course baron reisimer is taking her tutelage very personally he's gonna get in trouble if she's not good at this stuff isabeau it's gonna poorly on him. That's what he says. That's what he tells her. Listeners, if a man says that he's got to perform sex acts on you so it reflects well on him. Listen, I'm going to get a bad performance review. (laughs) If you can't do this. If you can't blow me. So... What are we doing here? What are we doing here? And there's this scene where they're in bed and she's like, why don't you just slip it in me though? Just like, And he's like, you will be murdered and I also will be killed. So Mm -hmm. no, that's Mm -hmm. not for me. So then she arrives at this palace Mm -hmm. of the day and she's brought to the harem and she meets her eunuchs. Mm-hmm. And we get what is for sure the best makeover scene I've ever read in a book for this podcast. Or will ever read. They cover her in wax and tell her she can't move and then use piano wire to peel off the wax so that she's totally hairless except for her face. You know how I feel about that. But this book actually is pretty redemptive about pubic hair. It is. It even uses the words pubes. It does. It was the 70s. It also uses the word penis. Mm-hmm. I think I read member once, but mm-hmm. it's penis all the way through. Yeah. And like, I don't think she says pussy, like the euphemism. No, no, no. Yeah. There are other euphemisms that they use and sometimes they'll use Arabic language. But but generally speaking, I feel like pretty anatomically correct. Very 70s. Yeah. But like that scene, because she's not just covered in wax. They wash her first with like a sugar and pomegranate scrub and then they put her in wax and then they do the piano wire and then they do this like weird lotion. Yeah. And then they wash wash her again and I was like it's just pages and pages of having like four dudes like fucking pamper the shit out of her. Which is what I want in a makeover scene. I don't want just like cut to checking me out in this new pencil skirt. It's like I want to know about how it felt to get your hair brushed. Oh yeah. I want to know about getting your your toes done. Oh like, yeah. Like a makeover scene should actually be long. Yeah. It should be longer than the blowjob scene. And these were almost equivalent. Like that blowjob <laughs> scene was so long though. I remember being like, I don't feel like this is for me anymore. 
There's something kind of quaint about a man telling a woman to kiss it mm-hmm. instead of like suck it or like something, you know, they're like, kiss it. Yeah. And there were like no hands on her. Like she was the one driving all of that action for like a blowjob scene. It was like fairly titillating. But like, I mean, I was incredibly I felt like I was being like my brain was luxuriating in the thing that was happening with her makeover. But it's yeah. also a crazy thing because like the thing that they're getting ready for her is a rape scene with the day of Algiers. Well, okay, so I want to talk about the eunuchs because as they're waxing her, they say, they get done and they're like, dear lady... I admire your personal character because of her ability to hold still. Mm -hmm. But that carries through the novel. Like her Mm -hmm. ability to be still is kind of her most redeeming quality. And I think that's so interesting because if you're still, people think she's brave. People think she's horny. Like her best skill is being a projector screen. One of them. Yeah. But like this idea of her as an ice maiden. Yeah. The ice maiden thing keeps happening, which is also like a shorthand. And for, yeah, as you say, bravery or like a sort of like inner fortress so that she can really withstand the abuse that's coming and projector screen. But it's also like it's a shorthand then, too, for her whiteness, which people are obsessed about and her white blonde hair and Mm -hmm. everything else. Yeah, the eunuchs are weird and like we have to understand them because like they become complicated too because like they compliment her they're proud of her they're like hey you're her doing confidant- great confidants they seek to protect her and help her succeed except the minute she betrays the day oh like, we're totally skipping her first sex scene I'm though, sorry with I mean the day. with the day which is not the first sex scene of the book though we're already no, like five or six in the first penetrative sex scene yes she's in his room she gets this oh cool breeze she's like like, oh my God, it's gorgeous. She's hanging out and then this very old man appears. Yeah. And she takes a very passive role. She's like, do you want me to do She want me to, I'll just lay here. And he's like, I'm bored. Get out of here. You and Rysam are both dead. And then she does this scene where she like begs him and she's like, I'm just not used to your majesty and your regality and all of this. So then they have sex successfully and she's like, wow. That was fun. That was fun. But. Oh, wait, wait. Can we like, let's just back up because like she's passive, but the thing that she's passive about is like the first thing that he does she's wearing transparent harem pants and he immediately gets down on his knees and is like full on in her bare snatch oh yeah he loves eating the puss all the time and, and she's, she's like not reacting well enough to him yeah. eating her out and then he's like I guess you're not into this like fucking die listen this book makes a thing out of how much he loves to go downtown oh my god it's his favorite but they're like this weirdo loves to <laughs> and your penis is nudging me <laughs> It's so true, though. <laughs> They're like, can you believe? Can this you believe this very old man? Bad old man. His favorite thing in the world is to perform oral sex, sex on, on a ladies. lady. <laughs> so he says, send in the boy so this night won't be a total failure. Then she seduces him. Then the boy is sent in. It turns out it's her stepbrother Jean Pierre. And uh, gonna go ahead and give a trigger warning for this, but we need to talk about the fact that this happened. Yep. The chic or the day is like, I want to see you perform a sex act on your brother. It's kind of a bummer that he's your stepbrother. It would have been better if he was your real brother. Incest porn is one of the most searched porn categories on Pornhub right now. Just want to point that out. She does... Jean-Pierre doesn't finish because the day gets so turned on that he then has sex with our girl again. Catherine. Catherine. And then he's like, because you're now a part of my harem and because he saw you naked, I can either kill him or make him a eunuch. Your call. And she chooses to make Jean-Pierre a eunuch. After many pages of considering what's best, it's also important to note that Jean-Pierre is only 12. So the sex act that they performed, I mean, all of this is rape and they're pretty clear about It's described in the book as well. Yes. It's not just like, and then she did. It describes the sex act. Yeah. And that's hard. Like that was like a super duper hard scene that also felt like it kind of came out of nowhere. Couldn't believe that it happened. Couldn't believe that it happened. And then she spends three pages asking the other eunuchs Unics is death preferable to how you live? And they're like, no. But also like, what a weird question. And then she comes to the conclusion that it's always 
better to live than to die. Just like her friend Seraphine told yep. her, enjoy everything. Even death. So she does tell Jean-Pierre, hey man, what just happened? Because it's a whole thing. Like if he survives the procedure and everyone thinks she's quite cowardly for not attending to it. What do you think about that? Do you think she's a coward that she didn't attend the castration of yeah. her stepbrother? That she called for? I mean, it's so hard. It's such a weird question. All of it was so weird, especially because like her stepmother is also there as her personal slave. Jean-Pierre won't just be any unit. He'll be her specific unit yeah. so like she'll face her decision every day yeah and no I didn't find it cowardly it's like also the fact that like you know she couldn't witness it like seems right to me and like it would have and thank god because like in terms of a plot point it was bad enough living with the after effects like I don't know if I could have actually as an audience member seen the scene so yeah but I also think like Jean-Pierre described Jean-Pierre hates her <laughs> Yeah. But is a very loyal slave because he's like, this is all I have now. Her stepmother and, also hates her. She's like, yeah, my line but, is dead. But uh, Catherine doesn't realize they hate her until the day is falling. Yep. And she's like... You guys, what are we going to do? And they're like, fuck you, lady. The French are here. The French have defeated the day. We're all going home. Yeah. Except for you, bitch. Except for you, because you were the sex slave of a day. And now you won't be accepted back into French society. And Catherine's like, we're all in this together. And they're like, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And her stepmom ends up getting away. Yep. Jean-Pierre does not. He remains with Catherine because Reisimer comes and rescues her yep. and makes her his desert bride. Yep. And she's so fucking psyched. She's she hyper psyched. Always wanted to have sex with Reisimer. Oh, okay. So like the day is falling and he's like, I'm going to get away. I have a special oh ship. Gosh, yeah. But the thing that you need to do is marry me and become one of my wives because I can't take you as a mistress. He's like, she's like, you've already got four. And he's, and he's like, like, I divorced one. So you get to come. And she's like, uh, no, thank you. And he's like, you never loved me after five years and making you my number one in the harem. Like, God. And then he's like, kill her. And then the eunuch. But they put her in a sack and they're supposed to put her in a mud pit until she drowns. drowns. That's a specific death that she's constantly reminded of throughout this novel. It's a rough death. And that we are reminded of. All the time. And the eunuchs who she's trusted and who've been her friends this whole time are like, in the sack you go, mistress. Which is just another betrayal on top of her stepmother yeah. and Jean-Pierre. And she was like, I thought these people liked me. And it's like, no, no man. Nobody liked you. These are slaves. Like, you're a slave, but they are the slaves of slaves. Like, yeah. what do you... What do you... Do you not understand how power works here? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, and then the Baron comes rushing in like a hero to rescue her. Like, he's got, you know, his band of Bedouins. They're riding horses, firing guns, gets her out of the sack. And he's like, you're coming with me. I'm going to marry you and I'm going to sex you up good. And she's like, great. It's all I've ever wanted. Um, I love you so much. And then it turns out he sucks. Yeah. He like keeps her in an oasis while he goes off on adventures for three years. She has his kid. She gets pregnant with his second kid. Then like the French start their conquest in earnest of Algiers. Mm -hmm. And so he gets involved in that in a really big way because he's now a fugitive from the French because he kidnapped her. Mm -hmm. And other women. And other women. There was another French woman who the day got tired of and that's why he brought on Catherine. Um, she was mean to Catherine. All the Harem. women were mean to Catherine. Mm -hmm. Can't think of a woman who is nice to Catherine throughout this book. The Bedouin tribe at the Oasis, those women aren't mean. But they aren't anything. No, they like help her in childbirth and like... But they also, she talks about how they are dirty, how they eat dirty baklava. Yeah, I felt personally offended by that. Yeah, talking about eating dusty fly covered baklava like it's nothing. And Yeah, there are no women in this book who are her friends. Oh, they do like the older members of the harem who oh, are yeah. like on the board of directors of the harem with her <laughs> in the beginning. Yeah, who tell stories of when the day was young and handsome. Yeah, and they were like still a part of his harem and still getting
getting dragged around to different battles. I mean, they loved it. Uh, which is kind of foreshadowing because she is going to embark on an adventure once Baron Reisimer decides to take her. The French start their campaign in Algiers. Her life becomes a bit more of an adventure. So this book makes a hard stop. We understand that the Baron, who has been this like adventurous hero villain, just becomes literally a ball and chain that she never sees. He locks her away in an oasis with people that she doesn't know, doesn't really speak the language. She learns the language, bears his child, still has Jean-Pierre with her. Jean-Pierre still fucking hates the living daylights out of her. But the Baron really spends a lot of time then off stage. And then she decides to leave the oasis and look for him because she gets wind that he might be cutting a deal with the French and she wants to be there when he does it so that they can all go home together. So then she's in the desert with Jean-Pierre and her baby and she finds the French Foreign Legion. And who should be amongst the French Foreign Legion? It's our dirty artist! (laughs) All the way from Perry! (laughs) David. David. Oh, God. And so the French Foreign Legion is crazy. We spend a lot of time with historical detail about how it was made, how it was made as a conquering force, why, what parts of the other colonies it drew from, what parts of France it drew from. And the leader of this group is not David, but this other guy who's like, oh, you know our friend David? Have sex with me and I'll set him free. Yeah. So he creates this bargain. She decides she's not going to do it. She kills a member of the French Foreign Legion in order to escape. We are spending a lot of time plotting this book. And I think it's because everything that happens in this book is so fucking nuts. Yes, this is the nuts book. Nuts on toast. I don't even know where to begin. It's nuts. As I was reading it, I was like, what is this saying? Like, (laughs) yes. I don't know where to go. She fucks Yusuf. The French just foreign kind of Legion because she leader. wants to. And she, he makes her come really hard. And she's like, wow. Haven't done that in years. And then he's like, mom, I'm going to blackmail you to have sex with me forever. And she's like, okay, I'm going to murder this person. And then she ends up in mascara. And then David ends up in mascara. And then she's like, David, kiss my pubes. Even though she's like very pregnant. And she's like, kiss my pubes. And he's like, I'm psyched to do it. And then oh, that's right. walks in. in like, yeah, and Reisimer's like, I get to kill both of you. And she was like, you can't kill him because he's like the friend of this really powerful sheik that you're working for now. Who's trying to overthrow the French who yeah. are now like in Algiers in earnest. Who is in fact the only sheik yes. of interest in this novel and she never fucks him. No, she does something better. They fuck each other's brains. And she becomes his military attache. Yeah, she is so well versed from helping her father with his research projects that she helps him become a very powerful military force. Okay, so David is going to kill Reisimer. He's like, swear you won't kill her and swear you won't kill me. He's like, I swear it. And he's like, I swear to God. And Catherine's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. He doesn't believe in God. Make him swear on the beard of Muhammad. And then he's like, okay. And then he's like, oh, you got me. But then he's like, you didn't get me because I'm going to lock you in a room by yourself and take your baby away from you. A cedar fucking chest. He like, basically she has a box bed and then like they plank it up. So then she spends essentially, like she has her confinement, she has her baby, they take the baby from her and then she like lives in a cedar box for like six months? Yeah, six months. Then the French storm mascara, she escapes in the hullabaloo yep. because Jean-Pierre stays back to rescue her and he's yep. like, I decided to like you when you killed that French guy because you love the Polish guy. Yeah. And she's like, you're the best. And then... He gets shot through the heart and dies in oh, a puddle of his own blood. By the way, Jean-Pierre has revealed his affection for her once they get to mascara and started masturbating her, which is the main job of the eunuch. I forgot. We forgot that. We forgot that part. Uh, So then, okay, we're just going to rapidly tear ass through this. (laughs) She fucking escapes, gets... Into the waiting arms of David and the sheik who is trying to repel the French colonization force. They spend the next 
seven years together. She's she, a really good military strategist, it turns out. She and David get like desert married and have a son. Yeah. And Reisimer, he gets a pardon from the French in order to use his knowledge. And he's like evading them at every turn. And her and the Sheik have decided that they both want to kill Reisimer. And that's their main goal. And that's when I got fucking psyched about this book. I was like, I cannot wait to reach our happily ever after in which she murders her husband. Yeah, that'd be great. That's going to be so cool. Yeah. Nope. No. Nope. Her husband and her reunite. He rapes her, threatens to cut off her breasts. They're under siege because the sheik loves Catherine. He's proposed marriage to her. And she's like, guess what? I love David. And also I'm pregnant with his child. And the sheik is like, I should be pissed. And she's like, tell you what, you can kill me whenever I stop being useful to you. Here's how I'm going to be super useful. And she comes up with all these great ideas. Once again, the idea of like her being blank is really appreciated by this text. Yeah, she's really good at playing chicken. Yeah, she's very good at playing chicken. That's exactly it. And she starts to feel like as long as she's alive, life is worth living. We get to a final battle scene. We're like, oh boy, Catherine and Reisimer, who's going to kill? Like, she's finally going to commit a second murder because she's been very distanced. We didn't even talk about the time she was kidnapped by the warlord and he taught her how to have sex doggy style. (sighs) And then he got murdered by the sheik right after because they reconnected because she was kidnapped. Oh Oh my my god. This is the thing that I actually want to talk about where it's like Catherine has so much sex. She's raped a bunch. She has so many sexual partners. partners. This is a heroine with a huge number of partners and she has orgasms. I mean, it's like 10. The nun, mm-hmm. Seraphine, the guy on the boat, the random guy on the boat, Cora, mm-hmm. her first eunuch. Mm-hmm. It's going to be Reisimer. The day. The day. It's going to be Jean-Pierre. David. David. The warlord. The warlord. Yousef. Yousef. That's 11. That's 11. She has 11 sexual partners over the course of the book. Yeah. That's the most of any romance novel we've read. Also, maybe the most of any romance novel I've ever read. Definitely for me. Yeah. Probably for me, too. I can't think of one with more. Because, like, so many of these are also scenes of rape, but they're also really complicated by how coercion and her own power dynamic are working. Her scenes of sex with David are kind of, like, ho-hum. And, like, that's, like, the most equitable relationship that she has. Oh boy, this guy's gonna blow it. Every time they're about to have sex, she's like, he's gonna fuck it up. He's gonna fuck it up. He's gonna be a disappointment to me. It's also really funny because like at that point, they discover that she has more experience than he does. And he's like, he kind of pulls, there's a version of this in Outlander where it's like, oh, the excitement and joy of male virgins. And like David has that sort of like puppy excitement where he's like, what do you want me to do, lady? I love you so much. You want me to what? Yeah. (laughs) Let's do it again. Yeah. But there's also this scene before they have their first sex where she's She's like, have you ever known an Arab woman? Because she sexually identifies as an Arab woman. Yes. Every other way she identifies as a European. We're going to unpack that. But she asked David, have you ever been with an Arab woman? And he very shamefully is like, I will not lie to you. And she's like, right, I've been with lots of Arab men. And then she's like, oh my God, he was embarrassed to tell me that this sex is going to be bad. Yeah, but I love him. So I guess it's going to be like, okay. Yeah, well, she really has a moment when she first asks him to kiss her private parts Mm -hmm. where she's like, this will be the test of whether or not he can become a good lover. Like if he's willing to perform oral sex on me. And he's like, sure, in an alley, let's do uh, it. This sounds kind of <laughs> crazy, but... We could be found at any moment. In fact, we are. And he's like, you're so pregnant. <laughs> it's like, you're so fecund. Yeah, it's like so many sexual partners, so many sexual acts, just like all over the map. I mean, everything. And it's also like all sex is pleasurable, right? But we've been prepared for that because Seraphine has told her. Enjoy everything, even death. Enjoy everything, even death. Okay. Okay. She does not get to kill Reisimer. She does not. David kills Reisimer. Yep. And the book acts like that was the penultimate moment this novel has been working up to all the time anyways. Your penis is poking me in the eye. Yeah, that's the moment that it poked me in the eye. I was like, she should have gotten to kill him. Yeah. Also, she's way better at all the stuff. Like, David draws maps. David draws maps and is, like, apparently, like, good at fighting. I guess. He did fight those Aristos at the beginning. He fought those Aristos and he survived this whole time. Yeah, and the foreign 
Legion. Yeah, and with the Sheik. The thing about David that I found hard to believe, it's like they spent an afternoon in his artist garret and he wants to possess her, but like that is a noble love. But like Rysimer, the day, and everybody else that she has sex with also wants to possess her and their love isn't noble. Yeah. Because I guess it doesn't come out of self-sacrifice. Is that the thing? Like David's willing to give up more? Yeah, what is the thing? But is that really it? Because at one point we get our heroine's internality and she's feeling torn because she feels this lust for Rysimer and she loves David. Oh, and she's reflecting on that time the guy did her doggy style and exposed her to a whole new realm of pleasure. Oh yeah, it talks specifically about her having her G-spot and she's like, I didn't know that my body could quiver in this manner. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So she's reflecting on all of this and it's like she feels conflicted about how she feels and like what is going to be her driving force and I was like this is so interesting Mm -hmm. and then I turned the page and it was like she wanted to fuck all of them and I was like that's not what this is about that's not what this is about that's not what this is about Christopher Nichols yeah hey Chris hey Chris hey Toph yeah what are we doing here yeah Toph what are we doing here clearly Catherine is like whatever another time the penis poked me right in the eye it was it was so weird and like I think having David be such a limp dick. Yeah, and that was the thing. It was like, can I be with a real limp dick like David? I mean, his love for me is long suffering, but also it's like the book never conceived of that love as anything but possession. Yeah. So then I couldn't understand David as better than anybody else. And And David didn't possess her. The Sheik possessed her. Right. But like even that relationship was more equitable and more exciting. And they had better conversations about and like he knew way more about her fucking growing up because of he's like, how do you have all this military knowledge? And she's like, I used to write out my dad's papers. And he's like, sounds like a good dad. Tell me more about your dead mom. Yeah. And like she had this incredibly intimate intellectual relationship with the Sheik. And so every time he asked her to marry him, which was more than once, I was like, fucking marry this guy. This guy's way better than limp dick david and she becomes like a legend of the desert yeah known by the nickname which means my darling yeah habizi habizi that the day initially gave her she's like known as this like terror Mm -hmm. which is great like that's cool uh what's happening what's happening like i she calls the sheik like my lion yeah my lion my desert lion but she has this relationship with david that's who she wants to be with that's who she's all always loved and like she she hasn't she, always like, loved him she's the like thing. I've loved him for the last 10 years so it's not like this is coming out of left field I'm like it's fucking coming out of left it's field coming out Christopher of left field, Christopher like there's nothing there's nothing holding this together there's nothing holding this together and it's also like this problem of Reisimer is a bad white man but he's also a Muslim Yep. And the race stuff in this book is not at all interesting. It's all very basic racism where it's like she's with David. Why? Can you think of a reason why? Well, David's more complicated than that. The fact that he's a Jewish Pole and a revolutionary is why she can't associate with him in Paris. But when he's in the desert, he's a white guy. Right. That's how everyone except for Reisimer understands him. Right. The French Foreign Legion understands him as a Polish man. It was weird to me that like the first 150 pages, like in France, he's othered because of his Jewishness and his Polishness. And then when he makes it across the Mediterranean, those things fall away and he's just white. Whereas like Reisimer is also white, but he's a bad white, not only because of his religion, but also because he's like got this dark craggy face. So he's like red that way. And then we have, you know, the day who's clearly a villain. Although he's like such a hapless villain. He's not really a villain because he protects her and she seems to like what's happening. She likes being in power and the power Mm -hmm. that being the favorite gives her. I mean, to say he's like a villain feels wrong. I certainly wouldn't say he's a hero. But I mean, like you and I understand him as like a rapist, a rapist, a trafficker, like all of these bad a pedophile. Mm-hmm. The book describes him as swinging both ways in yep. a way that is Rysimer was one of his like early conquests. Early conquests. Like we're supposed to understand that as bad. I think the book does understand the day as a villain, mm-hmm. but I think compared to 
Rysimer. He's a lesser villain than Rysimer. Rysimer yeah. is definitely the like antagonizing villain. And the fact that like Rysimer also is for hire, you know, that he's fighting the French colonial invasion until he's not, that he yeah. buys this pardon, that he steals her children. Like Rysimer is the villain. And then puts him in an orphanage. Yeah. What which a, we find out at the end. What an asshole. Yeah. Like what, what asshole a bad an asshole. dude. And that she's still lusts after him. And then like. He's the most powerful personality she's ever met. And then there's Limp Dick David. And you know, it's like who she continues to profess to love but like it's really clear to me especially in the last 150 pages that the person that she does love and like likes being around is the sheik yeah and she likes her position of power there and it's more intellectual and like we read him and like that this is where it got weird for me about especially the race stuff because when the foreign legion came in Yusuf who's a brown person fighting for white people is a bad dude but the sheik isn't a bad dude he's like a rebel trying to unite the tribes against foreign invaders. The thing is, is like, okay, Rysimer is a traitor to his identity. Mm-hmm. Yusuf is a traitor to his identity. David has no identity because he's in that like liminal space where he doesn't belong in France. He also doesn't belong in mm-hmm. Algeria, but he does belong with Catherine. Yes. Like that's his one motivating factor. Like he never strays from wanting to be with Catherine. That's he has his a clarity of purpose. He has a clarity of purpose. You know where he stands. Yeah. And has stood for Forever. But like, <laughs> but you know that about um, the sheik as well. Like, right. you know where he's he wants to unite the tribe Algeria against a foreign France. invader. Yeah, and he's like actually all of North Africa because they won't stop once they get over here. Right, he and a, he's right. Yeah, and like that's where the politics of this book then began to feel really modern because it began as like a weird historical like this is a thing that happened but everything that the sheik is talking about which will happen indeed is also a thing that's talked about in 1978 during like the everything that fucking happened with Iran, right? Yeah. So then he feels like a very specific kind of sympathetic freedom fighter. But it wasn't that long before the 70s that Algeria was actually fighting for its independence from France. Yeah, it was like 1965. Yeah. Yeah. That would have been very fresh and prescient. I think the Battle of Algiers, which was like every film student at this time, like, I mean, it's very prescient in the 70s. For sure. So like there are aspects of colonization that are like not lauded necessarily. Like the day has to fall. Like he's a bad dude because he's a dictator and an autocrat. Yeah. But the sheik who has a vision of running the country by the people for the people, I guess. And repelling foreign invaders is the lion of the desert and someone she loves and respects. But then we get... Where do they go? All of these good Frenchmen Mm -hmm. at the end of the book. Yeah. We get the people who are with Reisimer, who are there to protect Catherine, who want to be strategic, who want to get out alive with their men, who just want to do their very best. We get these good Frenchmen at the very end when the Sheik does surrender to France. We get nothing but good Frenchmen. But she doesn't go back to France. She goes back to Boston. But I'm still saying, like, they say, like, you can't go back to France. There's nothing for you in France. And also, like, you're too infamous there. I think it's a deliberate choice on the part of this book to have made her an American from the start. Yeah. And then have her return to Boston. Have her to return to Boston, but also like that's a place that David can live. Yeah, that's a place that David can live. Right, because I think you were really right when he's like caught in this little space where it's like he's too dark for Paris, too light for Algiers. Where can you go? That's like the last idea in the book. Is that America is a place for all of us. He says, but before any of them had existed there had been David and now they were all gone and there was still David. She opened her eyes and took his hand and smiled at him. Boston has been a long time coming. He returned her smile. It will be better for that and you will be going home. And you, me, his fingers tightened on hers. My home is wherever you happen to be standing. Like that's it. That's why he's good is he's totally devoted and singular in his purpose Mm -hmm. that revolves around our heroine who is actually pretty interesting. She's fascinating when this book allows her to be. Yeah, when this book allows her to be. But I think it's just like I would get these things where I was like, wow, this has a really interesting perspective on colonialism and that this romance novel is really taking care to have the perspective of the colonized and the resistance. Mm -hmm. 
and is really giving credence and appreciation. And at one point, even the good Frenchmen are like, I don't think we can let our people run out with these savages. And she's like, if they are savages, it's because you've made them savages. And the book takes care to lay out how the evolution of warfare has gone to this really violent, bloody, brutal, oppressive, genocidal attack on both sides and how it's eventually like, they both started off with the best intentions and how it's all devolved. Like the book takes this great care, but at the end of the novel, our sheik is whenever he hands over his sword, he's told that it is made all the more honorable for being handed over. And in fact, yeah, that's what we understand. That's what our heroine has advised him to do is to surrender his people. And then he does the ride along with soldiers and the major's like, what do you think? And he's like, if I had had men like these, I wouldn't be here right now. It's like, yeah, see, right? These good French soldiers, like there's this like weird reverence for the fact that like colonization is tough, but to the victor go the spoils mm-hmm. at the end of this novel that's disturbing after kind of being allowed to believe that this book had a different perspective. I think especially that idea, it's like it's its uniformity. That's the thing that undermines the sheik from the beginning and the day himself. It's the tribalism. It's that they could never yes. conceive of a nation state, which yeah. is why they weren't ready to play yeah. with the French army in that way. And that was weird. That's like a weird retrograde perspective after so much time is spent really carefully cataloging what it is to like to repel a foreign force yeah and so like yeah like that felt like a stumbling block in the same way that like the book is ramming David down my throat and I'm like I don't know why though because like she doesn't lust after him like she like has this intellectual intimate relationship with the sheik has like these other very intense sexual relationships and then it's like so because he's stayed the longest yeah and I would also say the book's kind of like It really lays out how it feels about like a tribal identity after she makes love to the rival sheik. Mm -hmm. And then he takes her out on a raid and he's like, whoa, you really want to ride with me? And she's like, totally, babe. Totally want to ride with you. You've shown me things about my body I didn't know existed. I don't want to miss out on that. Maybe it'll happen when we're out there, you know? Yeah. so ready to get done doggy style. I love the desert. I love the horses. Your penis is nudging me. (laughs) (laughs) You're standing too close to me on a train right now. Christopher Nichols. And then they overtake like a French, like some stragglers. He's like, it'll be easy to do. And she's like, oh my God, all you want to do is fight. Then he's like, you should be like the other women in my tribe. The women in my tribe fight. Who will torture and kill violently, even worse than the men. That's what you should be doing. You should be cutting off penises and peeling off eyelids as far as I'm concerned. That's what you need to do. I'll kill you if you don't do it because it's like you told me you were going to do it. Now you're not doing it. And then he gets murdered and all of his people follow our sheep again and that's like oh yeah because this is unsustainable this is a bad idea but then by the end of the novel the sheik's vision is also a bad idea that can't work it can't work because of these traditional i.e. savage in air quotes it was working until Ricemer figured out their grain storage tunnels and stuff yeah god Ricemer sucks Ricemer is such a villain he's the worst and a complicated one. And it's complicated by her lust for him. Which, who hasn't been there? I mean, yeah. But that is such a dude thing to be like, girls love bad boys. Yeah, like, David is the nice guy. Yeah. Oh, no. And the nice guy doesn't finish last in this book. but I mean, he, he also, does. But, but he, do, he finishes last. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, he finishes last. Last. Um, last man standing. It's persistence, I guess. Uh, yeah, exactly. Which is such a, like... You. Like, honestly, I can't tell you a thing about David's personality. Like, because he doesn't have one. Good at drawing and. Other people think he's a Jew. He never says that he is Jewish. No. They just say, oh, his name's David. Only Jews have the name David. Yeah. And what's his last name? Mullower? Polish. <laughs> yeah, and he was and thrown out like, of Russian Poland. Polish. It doesn't sound Polish at all. There are way too many vowels in it. I, I just feel like they should have tried harder. Yes. If they wanted to make that a thing. Yeah. Which the book kind of feels like it's trying to. I don't know. Sexiest part. <laughs> 
psyched we got some girl on girl action mm-hmm. and an otherwise heteronormative text. I thought that was cool. I'm going to say the stuff between her and her friend Seraphine was better than the stuff where the nun was going to be like, I'm going to spank you. Oh, I'm going to spank you. Although it was like the horniest shit I've ever read. It was crazy. That was Thanks, Christopher. It was like 50 pages in. It's like suddenly a nun. I'm just like, like where, where are we? Uh, yeah, who are we? First of all, like Aqualung was fucking <laughs> trying to paint her. And now this nun is like sneaking her into her office and like spanking her naked bottom with a belt and getting off on it and like rubbing her boob. Oh my God. And then it's like her friend Seraphim who is apparently has fallen asleep holding her breast. And is also like, touch yourself, touch yourself, touch yourself. I do it all the time. <laughs> do, do it in front of me. Let's do it together. <laughs> Let's do it together. Let's watch each other. Wow, this I'll is do great. It to you. No, it's fine. <laughs> Just keep doing it. Yeah. Sexiest part. Sexiest part. Probably her sex scene with the warlord was my favorite sex scene. It was a really good one. And like, they really set the stage. Like, he's in this gorgeous tent. There's silks everywhere. Like, there's a point when um, she gets naked in front of David for the first time and she's like a little bit embarrassed because she's like, oh, you fell in love with a 17 year old girl. And he's like, but I want to be with the 20 something year old woman. And she does think conscientiously about the presence of her pubic hair. And he's like, I love it. Yeah. I did love that. And you know what? He really loved her like sweaty, stinky, hairy, like her sweaty, stinky, hairy body mm-hmm. was sunburnt, was worshipped in this book. Yeah. Which is someone who's very sweaty, stinky, hairy and sunburnt felt good to read. And also that like her youth wasn't the thing that was the most attractive thing about her. Right. And that all of these people continue to find her attractive post childbirth, post whatever, post living in the desert without lotion and not enough water. Like, like she remains a human being that like people are attracted to in all of the ways throughout. And like, and not just like remains. It's not like she's stagnant. She doesn't realize how young and beautiful she still is. It's that she becomes richer and more interesting. Right. That's, and people, men in the book specifically comment on that. Right, that her age tempers her beauty in a different way or that it, like, she fills out or, like, she maneuvers into womanhood in a way that, like... Or even, like, the way she carries her face. Right. Changes. And, like, when she... One of the sexiest parts is, like, when she deliberately chooses because, like, all of her clothes are chosen for her in the first, like, third of the book all the way up into the harem. And so when she chooses Arab dress without the veil and she's like, I love these pants, I love this belt, I love this... I love that. I don't love the veil. I'm not going to wear it. And like, this is how I'm going to carry myself. The moments where Catherine... When she reaches her own brand identity. That yeah! Was the for you. I loved that. Of course you did. I did really love it. I guess like the boat stuff with Ricemer specifically was like not the eight page blowjob and not when he has sex with her stepmom in front of her. But like... Oh when- my God, I forgot about that part. Oh my God. He's basically doing a oh, PowerPoint presentation. A sexual relationship with her stepmother as well, which yep. we forgot to which we forgot to delve into. Oh, Christopher! Oh, Christopher! But like the scene where they're like in the captain's cabin, and like you know, he's like, "You touch me, and I touch you," and like he's like so magnetic. I was yeah. like, "This is pretty sexy." Weirdest part: Jean Pierre as both character and trauma and like everything. I'm like, this. I don't. I don't even know what we're doing with his like mutilation, rape, and the fact that he hates her and is also her good body is also like her all time nanny. I don't even fucking know. There's this weird part in the Oasis when she talks about and she feels personally frustrated looking at him because he's not serving his purpose as a eunuch, which is to do the kind of thing that happens in the harem, which is to groom her and to also like get her off pleasure her. And she's like, this is why he's getting fat and soft because (laughs) he's not waxing me and he's not fingering me. And she like gets really frustrated with him. Some very uncharitable and thoughts. Like, and he's like, I hate you. And she's like, then just leave. And he's like, I have no other <laughs> skills. I have nowhere I'll to go. I'll just go out and die. In the desert. And then she's like, well, if you don't want to do that, come back and finger me, you fuck. And he's like, I don't want to bury you. I don't like you. Yeah, the moments that what she... What the fuck is this book? <laughs> The moments that she thinks such a ch- 
charitable thoughts about him and he's like you did this to me you psychotic bitch and she's like oh yeah yeah I guess I'm sorry I mean for your life you ungrateful little wretch yeah and then she's like that part when she's like just he's getting me. so fat and soft because he doesn't have testosterone and also he's not fingering me the male insecurity of this novel though (laughs) that for me is the weirdest part i was like whenever i sat down i was like i bet i won't even be able to tell a difference oh man the difference was shocking and i don't just mean like how horny this book is without direction Mm -hmm. vignette upon vignette upon vignette but also like the complete and utter inability to imagine an internality of a woman that is holistic and complicated beyond being like, well, I don't know. I guess I'll do this. I have these skills and this situation seems Here's to call thing, for it. I can parrot back historical military facts and I can also hold still and ride a horse and ride a horse. And that's it. Yep. She gets horny all the time. That's her main motivating factor in most things. She says she loves David, but we don't know why. Because the book doesn't take the time to He was the first man to tell her she was beautiful. Yeah. Maybe that's it. I guess. I have no fucking clue. Me neither. I mean, David is also my weirdest part. The book (laughs) makes it seem inevitable. And I was like, this was never a foregone conclusion for me. He seems like a massive creep that's followed you through the decades. White guys in this book Mm -hmm. are way more fully realized than any of the Arab characters, but are wretched. Yes. Just wretched. Yes. I don't know if the book knows how wretched they are. It certainly doesn't know how wretched David is. No, which seems like a massive blind spot. Not unlike this whole thing with Victor Hugo and Balzac from the beginning. If you're going to show me Victor Hugo and Balzac in the first act, that gun better go off in act three. They never reappear. One time she thinks about, she thinks about Balzac when she's thinking about how fat Jean-Pierre is. Mm -hmm. Which again, makes me feel like this book is about male insecurity in a very specific way. For sure. But like, is it? That is what this book is. Yeah, like this book doesn't know that it's about male insecurity. No, but at every turn, <laughs> every fucking thing that happens, the day being like, you didn't really love me. Reisimer <laughs> being like, I don't really like you, but I don't want you to have sex with this Polish guy. The fucking... Jean-Pierre. The, the warlord being like, oh, you're not going to cut off an eyelid for me after I did you doggy style. This book is percent about male insecurity that's what this book is to be honest now that you've given me that clarity when i finished the book i felt like i had just finished having a drink with a male friend telling <laughs> me about his life where you're just like yeah wow oh and he never asked about you you're two and a half hours in you're two cocktails in and he finally gets around to like oh man the thanks closest, for letting me share the for that. closest they get is you get it right <laughs> and then you have the moment to say yes or no and it doesn't matter it doesn't matter you you say. say. It doesn't matter. Oh. Because they've already come to their own conclusion. Because they're fucking lives. Where you go dead inside, you become an ice maiden. And suddenly you're in charge of like, ah, you're an ice maiden, which is why all these men want to talk to you. It's because you're not giving them anything because back. Because you're just that a is like screen. screen. Fuck. Fuck a nomance for me. Here's the thing, listeners. The sex scenes are crazy. This book is crazy. I feel like you should read it. So when people say, oh, anybody can write romance, you have a clear and prescient tome to throw in their fucking smug faces and say, you know what? It's important that women continue to write romance and not anybody can do it. Not anybody. Not anybody, Christopher. Especially Womance not or you. Womance for you. It's a romance for me. I would definitely, definitely recommend this to fucking people. It's crazy. I guess child rapes the line for me. Uh, no, I mean, that's terrible. But like, that's not why I'm recommending it. Like the reasons why I would want other people to read it is because A, I want to talk about it more yeah. because I think it's crazy. I think this idea that a person is using romance as a genre to subconsciously explore all of the diversity of male insecurity. But is- they're not using it to explore. It's just him losing <laughs> his insecurity through the book and then forcing thousands of women to mail a dollar fifty to fucking Fawcett Publishing so they, they, they need 75 cents of that and they get mailed a copy of his fucking subconscious. No, you. It isn't working through jack shit. I don't think he got to the end of this 
this and was like, I figured something out about I myself. Express, I should go to therapy and I should no. talk to my wife more. No, 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 that is not what happened. He's like, go to Boston. There's no working through of anything in this book. <sighs> it's it just, just like a continual like they vomits on you, <laughs> apologizes sort of, and walks Doesn't really away. Apologizes, it's just like it's just plowing that field. The book bumps into you in a bar, doesn't acknowledge you as a human being, mutters sorry, doesn't even mutter sorry to the hotter person at the other end of the bar. That's what this book does. There is no working through of anything. It's a nomad. Frankly, Isabeau, you have one other person to talk to about this book. That's enough. That's enough. This is too much. This is too much. Fuck you guys. I went to bed with Kathleen Woodwist and I'm like, this is it for me. This is it for me. I mean, Shana 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 is way better. I stood at the mountaintop for fucking pirates, pirates love. love. A pirate's love. Remember that? I do remember that. I cannot abide this book. This is a book that if I were to write a dissertation, I would definitely write about. It needs to be included. If you're writing a dissertation on romance, this should be one of your objects. Yes. Of interrogation. Fucking bonkers. I think we should read another romance novel written by a man. I think we should too. Hopefully it's not this. Oh my God, no. Also, I would never read a Christina... Nicholson, Christopher Nichols ever again. Like this this is this is one and done. I will say this was four hundred and forty two pages, Isabel. We gave four hundred and forty two pages of our lives, of our podcasts, mm-hmm. of our voices to this book. It deserves no more. Okay. And also however much you paid for it. Three dollars and twenty two cents. I'm gonna act like it all went towards this gorgeous cover. I hope it did. That cover is insane. Very Conan also, the Barbarian. Also, in there? It's Ricemer, right? It's got to be Ricemer because it's, it's not. Ricemer. It's not the also, sheik the, like, and it's not the day. Also, on the cover looks very much like a greasy trucker. Yes. Like he's not very buff. I miss the not. You spend seven and a half hours in a gym. Those buff. beefy boys. I like a certain amount of beef. Don't get me wrong, mm-hmm. but like it's too much now. It's too much beef. Do you think like we got away from Fabio and now we're getting back to Fabio? Yeah, but like without the hair or the weird stuff. Like, like there's less humor in it. Yeah. I miss the jokes. All right. So you're sure this is going to be a romance for you? I think if people want a trip, it's a trip. It's a page turner. Yeah. If you want some like weird erotica that you have to pay for in 2019. Oh boy. There's, there's better erotica on the internet. Yeah. For free. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't read it again, but yeah, I mean. It's a romance. Yeah. And it's a no-mance for me. How the tables have turned. Can we do the thing where we have the in-between one, the so-so-mance? No, we can't. And here's why I I don't approve of the so-so-mance. Because this genre has so much in it. It does. That's a really good point. It has so much really good stuff. And really bad stuff. That if you can't rise to the level of a romance, you're a no-mance. Okay. I accept that. I understand having a guilty pleasure within romance. Mm-hmm. Perhaps that's something worth exploring. That's why I don't abide the... So-so. I mean, it's a really cute word. It's it a is. really smart, great idea that Melanie Johnson had. Allison, my sister-in-law. Oh. Mm-hmm. I thought Melanie sent that to you. Mm-mm. Sorry. That's okay. Yeah, no, I'm going to stand by romance because it's so bonkers, but also this sex scenes especially the one with the warlord and the one on the boat like they're memorable yeah the sex scenes are certainly memorable and abundant and i do like that she's multiple sexual partners i like that too i mean i think the book dealt with rape in a really mature clear-eyed way yeah mature (laughs) clear-eyed is the right way to say it yeah this book didn't shy away it called it what it was yeah with that loosen your stays but not your principles (laughs) (laughs) Whoa, indeed. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Womance. All editing and music is done by Nick Gravelin. Our logo is by Mary Reichman. And our webmistress is Jane Bonzak. They're the best. 
Feeling woeful about having to wait a whole week for more Womance? Well, cheer up, Buttercup. You can creep or connect with us on Instagram, Twitter, or our website. Our webpage is womancepod.com. If you prefer to be more verbose and or direct, why not send us an email? We're womancemail at gmail.com, and we can't wait to hear from you. In the meantime, please don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on your favorite podcast listing app. Until next week.